Welcome to the Holistic University Podcast, featuring your well-being coaches, Sydney and Elena. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Holistic University. I'm your co-host, Elena Siebold. Hi, everyone. I'm Sydney Russo. And today we have a very, very, very special guest. I am so excited. My professor in the psychology department, Kathleen Webster, Dr. Kathleen Webster, is here with us. I am so excited. Thank you. And this is so exciting to be here. It really is. So thank you very much. So, yeah, we're, we're super excited. Um, so uh, this is my first time meeting Dr. Kathleen Webster. So I would like to... I always think I'm in trouble if I hear Kathleen. So Okay. Dr. K? Is that... Kate. Yep. Dr. Kate. Okay. We, we can do that. Um, so if you could just connect the dots for me, what brought you to where you are in your life right now? What was your path? Sure. Um, my path was a little bit, you know, in the corporate world, we're asked to write about our journey, our path to, in life. And I guess this would be my sixth life, if you will. Um, but I started out, I traveled around the U.S. for quite some time. I lived 17 years in Alaska. I lived in Boulder, Colorado. I lived in Park City, Utah. And Lake Tahoe and that sort of thing. So, um, and then I said to myself, self, you better get back to school. So I went back and I took my undergraduate degree at the University of Alaska. And um, at that time in Alaska, you could only get a PhD in fisheries and business. So I said, well, that's not gonna work for me. So I came back to Rhode Island. I'm originally from Rhode Island. So this is my home. I actually live on a boat and I walk the same streets that I walked when I was six. So I don't know how that happens when you are gone for 27 years from the state and then you're in the same neighborhood. But anyway, so I got my PhD at URI. I came back home to Rhode Island, um, got into the B what we called then was experimental psychology and now it's called the behavioral psychology degree and i completed that in 2001 and then i had always wanted to go into academics i always wanted to teach but um it just didn't kind of jive it didn't happen so my path took me in another direction i was teaching a class at uri And there was a woman in the class, a graduate level class, and she said, I started a business and we need somebody just like you. So come and work for us. So that was the beginning of um, working in the corporate world. And I spent about 17 years there. And then when I left the corporate world, I was called up, one of the professors in the Department of Psychology, Dr. Mark Wood, had passed away. And they needed to fill a graduate level um, social psych course. Called me up and they said, would you do it? I said, yeah, I'll do it. And so I um, joined URI back in 2015, I guess it was. And then I just kept working and now I'm full-time faculty. Wow. Well, thank goodness you're a professor, because honestly, I wouldn't be able to handle statistical psych without anybody else. Hey, you're a student. You've got to remember that. Um, 
Um, you've had two classes with me, right? You've taken 200 and 301. Yeah. And listeners, she's also my psychology advisor now. So I have Dr. Kate for a long time. <laughs> Yay! That's great. Yeah, I saw that as, a, as an advice. That's fantastic. Yeah. But can you tell us about um, your research that you've been doing with um, women? Yeah. One of my areas of interest in research, um, I'm a research psychologist, right? So that's basically um, what my focus is. And I um, anchor to a lot of kind of philosophy of science and thinking about what we're thinking about, right, to make sense of everything. But I believe that we should have meaning and measurement, And a lot of times our science focuses on the measurement piece. But what does it all mean? What is the so what of everything? So my research um, involves women's issues. I'm also very interested in the planet and understand and also equity. So equity, racial equity, um, social economic status equity, those sorts of things. So a social psych kind of focus. And um, I had been working with a group in women struggling with infertility. So that is one of the areas we actually built a model that has like nine different stages associated with it that people go through once they're diagnosed, diagnosed with um, infertility. And we focused on unexplained infertility a lot of times there are explanations for it and then there are other times when there's no explanation and women it can impact their entire psychosocial well-being when they enter that struggle so um i've worked with a it's a company called organic conceptions so we started that company it's still continuing i have stepped away from it a little bit um but the co-founder, him and his wife, Erin and Mark Sherman, are continuing the work. That's so interesting. Have you thought yeah. about doing research? And we talk about this in class because I'm currently in Psych 301, which talks about research and whatnot. But have you ever thought about targeting college populations or do you know any statistics among college students? Yeah, basically what we're doing here is I'm working with, I teach 489, which you may know about, right, which is an independent study. And I'm working with a couple of students and what we're trying to do is we're looking at student performance pre-COVID, post-COVID. So it's kind of like in-person versus remote. And we're trying to understand, we're just in the beginning stages of that. So we're trying to understand how this COVID structure impacts students. And from what I can tell from student surveys and things like that is that it creates a great deal of anxiety, right? Even though we're feeling like we've got this together, but when we're home and we're zoomed in, and I have a lot of students who I, you know, as you well know, in 301, are you in the room or are you zooming, right? So it's all a matter of of how that perspective takes you. So yes, I am definitely working on understanding students' experience during this change. You know, incoming freshmen, you can't miss something you never had. 
right? So they don't experience that as much as you guys would being, you know, juniors, seniors, sophomores. It's just a little bit, it's different. It's very, very different. So, right. So, so you're studying just out of curiosity. It sounds like what you're studying from the student's perspective is like how they feel about online learning, or is it more like performance based? Like you're looking at their grades and it's both of those things. So there's a a little qualitative piece where we do a little um, kind of interview or survey, if you will, trying to understand what students are experiencing. And in these stats courses, these required courses, there's a high level of anxiety when they begin that course. And just in general, Right. So we do a little at the beginning of class, we do a little survey on a scale of one to five. Tell me the level of anxiety. And, you know, those always end up at the higher end of that scale. So the mean scores are somewhere around a four. So there's a great deal of anxiety. And it's my job to try and lower that anxiety. So at the end, in a post-test, if you will, we can see where there was a reduction in this greater confidence. And this is particularly true with young women, right? There's a stereotype. There's this whole social norm that women may have a difficult time in STEM, and it's just not the case. So we're trying to bust that myth. That's so interesting. I didn't know that you're doing research on COVID and how it affects college students because it's it's really been impacting us. Like Sydney and I talk about, we're both dietetics majors. I'm a double major in psych, but we're in courses where it's like because of these online restrictions, it's really being detrimental to like our learning and our grades. So yeah, yeah. and if if you have any labs or anything like that, labs are really really hard to do if you are remote. So I think understanding students' perceptions and as well as their performance, because inevitably their performance is going to impact their well-being. Yeah. Right. So if they're struggling with performance, then that is going to manifest in their idea of of who they are their self-esteem. Do you have any advice for students like with this remote learning to like kind of exhale, (laughs) exhale and help your professors, right? Because many, we are all through the summer. We took these courses on zoom learning, if you will, or digital learning. And, um, I, it still goes bump no matter what, so um, if you see your professor struggling, that would be the advice I give. Just say, oh, you need to go to this area over here and, and click this button and, and that sort of thing. I think that students can also just kind of try to flow. It's a new way of being. We don't know if it's negative or positive yet. We just know that it's very different from what we're used to. So we'll have to keep researching and studying and seeing where that may take us. Yeah, that, that's a good point though, that it, it could be positive for some people. Like, you know, as much as some sometimes I'm not liking the home learning and distance learning, a lot of things about it I actually really do like. 
So, yeah. So I think some things actually work better from a distance and some things, you know, you just can't duplicate in the same way. But right. And and is the connection, is it possible to make connections while we are in this virtual world? Right. So we have to learn about that and figure that out. And then because I think that's the piece that's missing. And wearing masks, right? That is another area. It's like, I can't see you. I need to see your faces. <laughs> so um, it gets challenging. But yes, I think we need to look for the positive as well as the detrimental in this new research area that we find ourselves in. Yeah, we talk about that all the time, especially in the beginning in our first episodes. We The first episode we recorded was all about COVID, and we were telling everybody, like, we got to find the positives in this because this is a new way yeah. of life. That's right. And, you know, there's a whole realm of psychology. It's positive psychology. So it's identifying the protective factors rather than the risk factors. And if we can identify those protective factors or positive factors, we can really put our energy there and minimize those negative factors. So, yeah, that's great. Um, okay. So changing gears a little bit here, I was kind of interested if, if you'd had any perspective on this. I'm wondering, you know, why is behavior change so hard for people? And I don't mean that in a mean way or negative way at all. Like I'm even, I'm talking about myself too. You know, you could know that something is really good for you or that you should do something or change, but why is it so hard sometimes? I think, I think, I thought about that question too. And I think it has to do with the context that we place it in. So I'm all for stage-based, kind of like a readiness for change. And there is an entire um, lab, if you will, or arm of URI that has the trans theoretical model for behavior change, right? And they can actually stage you and then they give can give you feedback in each of those stages to move you to the next stage. And I think if rather than trying to make a giant change all at once, if we can just take these incremental steps and gain confidence that then I think it wouldn't be so difficult. Right. Yeah. And it all depends on the behavior we're trying to change and the people we hang around with. Right. So, yes. <laughs> right? so that is so true. Right. So thinking about, you know, what your social influences are in that behavior change is an important piece as well. Yeah. yeah. In my marketing world, when I was working in the business world, we were actually looking at the trans theoretical model applied to business. So if people are going to buy a product, there has to be this readiness to purchase, right? And they call it nurturing. So they nurture them along this path until they get to the point where there's readiness for that change for that commitment, whatever that may be. And it's the same if we're trying to quit smoking or study more or get to bed, whatever the heck it is, right? It's all a matter of taking it piece by piece. 
Right. So, yeah, so I was going to ask you, too, and I guess we know the answer to this, but I was going to ask how you felt about the baby steps approach. And that's the term that I like to use. Maybe some people don't like the term baby steps, but I think it's helpful. I like it. And I was wondering if you would like. I completely agree in the baby steps. And, you know, we call them small steps or making small changes so that we're not the goal is not so far away and and it's manageable and we can take these pieces and each time we are successful in those baby steps we gain efficacy right we gain confidence in ourselves that we can do this and i think those baby steps when we can check one off it's all about the checkpoint then we can move on to the next stage of that baby step towards that goal. We got to get to the goal. And like that old um, Chinese proverb, you know, a thousand miles starts with the first step. So you got to take that step. Yeah. And so as well being coaches, Sydney and I work with students on campus to help create long lasting goals using the trans theoretical model or. Oh, you do? Yeah. So that's, that's a big part of the job we do in helping students. So we wanted to kind of get your perspective more on like research psychology perspective on like the behavior change theories and everything. I think, you know, Potaska and all of those at the CPRC is what we used to call it. I don't know what they call it anymore. Cancer Prevention Research Center. But that was behavior change. And I worked with... Um, uh, professor at URI where we were lo- using the trans theoretical model for smoking sensation in low income pregnant women. And, you know, the model was the, what was happening. It was all done digitally. So all the feedback, they go online, they get staged, right? And then the feedback helps them to make modifications and those modifications are those baby steps. So, yeah. And back to the the theoretical model, it's like they have to be ready to change. You know, you have to be ready. You can't force someone along that. So no, you do do have to be ready. Right. And they have all those five stages. And so once they stage you, if you're in pre-contemplation, okay, we're going to make you stop thinking about this a little bit. And then you begin to think about what you're thinking about. Right. And that's really important. And then you get to prepare to make a change, whether you buy some big boots for walking or whatever you're going to do, whatever the changes that you want to do, you make these preparations and then you take action. Yeah. So continuing with behavior change and whatnot, how important do you think honesty plays a role in changing behavior? Honesty in ourselves right? Yeah, I think that being square with ourselves really does matter, right? So if I think that I have something that I need to change, if there's a behavior that I need to modify, I can't really modify that behavior until I've recognized that it might be an issue for me. So thinking about being, uh uh-oh, I see internet connection unstable. I think it's mine. Sorry. Yeah. Um, But I I do 
I do believe that it is so important for us to think about what it is that we're thinking about and then make a change. And we, we've got to be honest. We've got to say, well, that's a problem for me. I need to figure that out. I need to go to bed earlier or whatever the hell it is. Oh, I said I wasn't going to curse. Whatever it is. <laughs> it's okay. Whatever it is we've got to do. I'm sorry. Whatever it is we got to do, we need to tell ourselves first. It's the stories we tell ourselves. What is the narrative that's going on up here? Yeah. Yeah. And that can be a hard thing to do, being honest with yourself. And just from past experiences, I've realized that, you know, when you do realize these things and you are trying to be honest with yourself, just don't beat yourself up too much. You know, let it sink in. You realized it. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't think you're awful. Just start coming up with ways of how you can improve on it. That is, yeah. Sydney, that is great um, advice because when we begin to beat ourselves up, then we move away from that. It's just a natural thing that we do but if we can just that's why i think affirmations are really important i'm okay this little particular piece sucks and needs to change but i'm okay i'm okay i can i can handle this i can grasp it and when you've been on the planet longer it seems like you it's easier to do for whatever reason and maybe we're just trusting ourselves a little bit more yeah it's that life experience i have to ask out of curiosity because i'm a psych major but if there was any course that you could create or teach at uri what would it be and why i would like to in the department of psychology i would like to do more than ontology i'd like to talk more about loss and grief because i think that we are literally, you know, we forget to talk about that part of life. And that is life. Like my mom always said, none of us get out of here alive. So you got to figure it out while you're here, right? So, and I just wish that we would think more about that. And that's why I advise a lot of students to take a course from HDF in that loss, grief, thanatology, that's one of the courses that I think that we need, as well as a philosophy of science course. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. Because especially, I mean, we lose people all the time, sadly. But because we've been living in kind of an age of loss with this pandemic, I feel like a class kind of reflecting on that just to help I, students I, along. I think you... I think you are so right, you know, and I, and we reflect on it, but we don't necessarily share it. We don't share those reflections. You know, I was up doing my laundry, there's a laundry room up there at the top of the dock, and there was an elderly gentleman and he knocked on the door and there's a code that lets you in for security purposes. And I walked over and I said, why don't you have the code? And he said, um... I'm here because my son died on Saturday and he has a boat here. And he said, his name is Eric and I know him, you know? So it was like, it, it was just a moment where that loss comes in and here's this elderly man who's trying to find his son's 46 foot boat in the boat yard and um, talking about loss. It's hard. 
Yeah. It's hard. And I think we're desensitized a little bit to it. When we lose a half a million people um, as a result of a pandemic, then it kind of habituates us into yeah. thinking, oh, it's just part of what we're doing. But let's talk about it. Let's just talk about it a little bit more. So those would be the classes. Then ontology or loss and grief and philosophy of science. I think we need that desperately. Ooh, philosophy of science. Yeah. That would be fun. It, it's, it challenges everything we believe to know about science, about objectivity, about um, qualitative versus quantitative methods, right? If you study any um, feminist theory, they're going to challenge those post-positive views and a mechanistic view of life. And it's we're more connected than we are different. So yeah, thinking about those things. <laughs> That's really interesting. Thank you so much for, for everything that you had to share. Um, oh, you're very welcome. I hope it helps. You know, if, if we need to have another session, we'll do another session. Don't worry. Yeah, well, we wanted to wrap up asking you like a fun question. We want to know a little bit more about what life is like on a boat and how you chose to live on a boat because it's just different. It is different. It's a big boat. It's a 47 foot boat and I'm in it right now. You can see my liner up there. It's either wood or window. But I purchased this boat in 2006. I was in Alaska and my mom became ill and I needed to come back to Rhode Island. My dad had worked um, as a shell fisherman for the last part of his life. So I was a dock rat growing up way the heck back. So I figured, well, I'll just buy a boat. So I found this boat. Um, her name is Outlier. Right, that's a statistical term, that's which means she, term. <laughs> she can't. Yeah, she falls outside the upper and lower fence. That's right. She's under the limbo stick. Where She's the under the limbo stick. <laughs> She's got the jokes today. <laughs> no, it's there's true. there's it's terms true. that Dr. Kate says in all of our classes, and I've been picking them up <laughs> over the months. <laughs> we're out in the tail so but it's a big boat so it's two bedrooms two baths right but um we call them births and heads and this area here is not a living room it's called a salon but anyway um i love it it's not for everybody but in the winter i like it especially in the winter because all the seabirds come in, there's otters out there. You know, I mean, literally, I look out my bathroom window and I'm looking at an otter space. It's like, what is going on here? But I love it. It's a little bit of work. You know, you got to deal with water and all that kind of stuff and pump out boats to take care of your heads and all that kind of stuff. But um, I love it. That is so cool. And do you have like a kitchen and stuff where you can cook? Yeah, I have a galley. So it's, you know, I've got stove, full-size refrigerator, everything that you could possibly want. It's just, wow. it's like in an apartment in New York. It's just only 13.6 feet wide, but it's 47 feet long. 
And you've got a beautiful view too. It's amazing. Right now I'm covered. So they put this um, like greenhouse plastic over it so that um, it doesn't get too cold. So literally before I started this, I was laying out on the aft deck in the sun and my dog who's black and furry was like, it's too damn hot here. I'm going forward. So it's all good. Thank, I love the bow. Outlier is cool. That is very cool. Very interesting. I love it. Do you have any questions for us before we end the episode? I'd like to know a little bit more about holistic. You are what the name is holistic URI? Holistic University. Holistic University. Can you tell me a little bit about that conception? And so pretty much Sydney and I were talking. Our boss, Courtney, um, had a baby over the summer, beautiful McKenna. And she was on maternity leave, so it was just pretty much Sydney and I just to ourselves trying to figure out what to do to advertise while being coaching and give back to students because we're in this remote environment and we kind of can't do workshops or in-person things. So Sydney came up with the idea of doing a podcast and I was like, holy cow, let's do it. We got in touch with marketing. They're like, let's do it. So our very first episode, we recorded in person with Max, but then we were like, you know what? Let's take this remote. And the more we kept recording, the more fun we had with it. We had registered dietitian Kelly Kidd. We had our boss, Courtney, when she came back from maternity leave. We had Allison Hall from the counseling center who specializes in eating disorders. And now we have you. And oh, I think that's great. You know, and thinking about the mental health and COVID, right? So I think there's so many students who could benefit from something like that. Yeah. We just got to get the yeah. word out. Listeners, okay. tell people about it. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, I've been a marketer for 17 years. So if you need to do some data analytics and get some insight, we can do that. <laughs> It can be your 489 project. <laughs> oh my goodness. Right? I'm, I'm a BA in psych. I'm not a BS. That's a, no, I you still can take 489. You don't have to, but you still can. Oh my goodness. Listeners, I'm about to be a senior. So thinking about the 400 courses oh, I have okay. to take next year, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be just fine. But just think about it. If you need to do some research to kind of pull together what it is that you and Sydney have created, then um, I think that would be very advantageous for you guys. Oh, we forgot to ask the question we ask all of our um, guest speakers. What's your favorite food? What is my favorite food? So... Oysters and clams come to mind. (laughs) I just love them. I go clamming probably two to three times a week in the summer. Wow. So um, I would say shellfish. Shellfish is my favorite food. That's pretty on brand for someone that lives on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a lifestyle, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And And a few tortillas thrown in there. Tortillas? (laughs) I love tortillas. I love, so does I love chips and guac. That's always a good combination. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kate, for being with us this afternoon. This was so much fun. It was great getting to know you. Fun. Thank you both.
Um, we hope to have you guys listen next week. Please let us know through the URI Campus Rec Instagram or our email, any topics or anyone else you'd like us to have on our podcast. And with that, have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening.